we're going to be looking together at Matthew 15, as Jack said. So please open your Bible. And we're going to be continuing, as you can see, our series, A King Like No Other, as we continue working through the book of Matthew. Now, if you're uh, frequently around preaching, if you come to church often, you know that most sermons start with a story. Pastors like to start with a story because it kind of eases people in, it gets their attention. And, you know, a good story, you can kind of maybe start to connect it a little bit to where the application's going to go and, and things like that. Well, the story I'm going to start with today, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit, is Matthew 15. It doesn't need another story because this is a good story. And we're going to start right here with what uh, God's, what God's Word says. And this is the story, really, you might not have heard of it, of when Jesus goes camping. When Jesus went camping. So let's read together what I'm going to do. Just uh, We're going to read from verse 29 down through the end of the chapter of Matthew 15. And uh, we're going to read just the first couple verses here to set this, the scene, and then we'll, we'll talk about it together. So let's, uh, let's look together. Matthew 15, verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. Verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. We'll read the rest in a few minutes. But this kind of sets the scene. So Jesus was back to his old stomping grounds from where he was in the last passage, now back to being around the Sea of Galilee. He's very familiar with this. This was the sea that he calmed the storm on. A while back. This is the sea that he walked on. These are the shores that he has stood upon and taught from. And he's crisscrossed this sea many, many times. And now he's walking around and he sees a mountain, probably a large hill. And he heads up that hill to find a suitable place for ministry. Maybe he found a, a rock or something like that that he could sit on with a kind of, you know, being able to look down a little bit so people could come to him and hear him teach and come and be healed. Regardless of the exact spot that he picked, the, the, the reasoning is clear. He's setting up a place for ministry. He's here for people. Now what's weird about that is that he picked a place where there were no people. He's out in the middle of nowhere. This is out in the countryside. They are far from surrounding towns and villages. So far, verse 32 tells us that when when Jesus was getting ready to send them back, he was worried that they might faint on the way home. Uh, you know, it must have been a bit of a journey then to get, to get back. So he chose this kind of out-of-the-way place, and yet the crowd begins streaming to him. From all the villages and towns, from the countryside around, they come, more and more people come, and they come and they stay. And they stay for three days. So I think we're supposed to envision a kind of impromptu camping 
experience that they had. I don't, I don't think anybody left that morning expecting to spend three days out in the countryside. If they had, they wouldn't have been without food. And they were without food at the end. They probably packed a snack, maybe lunch, and the super prepared among them packed dinner. And they headed out. And Jesus begins to minister. What a time this must have been. Three days, uninterrupted days with Jesus as he heals and teaches those around him. Here, here's, a, here's a blind man being led by the hand to Jesus. And as you're, as you're sitting and watching, here's, here's Jesus laying his hands on the man and the man bursting forth with a shout as he sees, maybe for the first time in years, maybe for the first time ever. And the man is weeping and crying and giving praise to God. And right behind him is a woman being carried by her family on a cot. And, and she's brought up and she's set before Jesus. And Jesus just reaches down, grabs her hand and lifts her up. And she's standing on her feet for the first time in her life. And she begins to dance and she can't help but cry. And you couldn't help but cry as you watch this happened. Day after day, hour after hour, miracle after miracle, stopping only because the sun set three hours ago and now it's too dark to do anything. And so let's find a place to sleep on the ground. And then getting up before the sun is even up over the Sea of Galilee because the light is starting to get going. And so Jesus is starting all over again. And though there is a crowd around him, he's not in a rush. He's not going anywhere. He's patient. He waits for the next, and then the next, and then the next person. He gets to everyone who comes to him. He's enjoying himself as he ministers to God's people, doing the will of his Father. I think there's three things we want to see in this kind of opening section. Three things to, to understand. The first is the people who were healed. The people are, who are the people that are, that are healed? It says, the great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. Who, who are the people who are healed? It is the needy. It's the hurting. It's the broken. It's the suffering. Jesus did not set up his place of ministry for the healthy or the carefree or the successful. He is here for those who have needs. But that's not the only qualification. He's here for those with needs, but there were those in the surrounding countryside that were not healed. There were those who were blind who never came and never were touched and never made whole. There were the sick who were not made well. See, the ones who are healed are not just the hurting. They are the hurting who came to Jesus. Those are the ones who got healed. Those who made the journey. Those who were led by a friend, though they were blind and stumbling. The friend led them to Jesus or carried by their family because they couldn't walk. Or some kind neighbor set them up on a donkey and led them to Jesus and brought them to him. The people who were healed were the needy who came to Jesus. Friends, 
This is a reminder to us to bring our needs to Jesus, to bring them to him. We all have needs. We just heard a litany of needs in one care group, and we didn't hear the half of the needs in that one care group. You, you don't walk through a day without being made aware of one or two or ten different needs that you are facing. But friends, our needs aren't met just because we have them. They are met when we bring them to Jesus. They're met when we come to Him. Let's not forget to bring our needs, our daily needs, to Him. Let's not forget that He has taken a seat and invited people to come and to receive ministry from Him. His inclination is to heal. His willingness is to provide. Our Savior has not changed. Let's bring our needs to Him. So the first thing we notice is the people who were healed. The second is the people who brought them. Because what the, what the passage says is that great crowds came to Him bringing with them the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute. And they put them at his feet. What a blessed crowd that was. That company of evangelists that heard where Jesus was and wanted to go see him, but didn't just run off to go see Jesus, but grabbed someone else who needed Jesus too and brought them with him. This is, a, this is a marvelous crowd. What true friends this crowd was. Here, let me help you to get to him. Here, I, I know just the one you need to see. No, I, I can't help you, but I know the one who can help you. And I'm going to take you to him right now. Let, let me, hold on, let me get a couple friends. We will carry you to Jesus. And that merciful company carried the needy to him, and they set the needy at the feet of Christ. Mercy Hill, let us be such a company of friends, such a, a company of, of merciful people, that, that on the one hand, we see the Savior, and we know his power, and we know his goodness, and we know his mercy, and we're grateful for him. But on the other hand, we also see the needs around us, see the hurting and the broken and the sinful in our lives around us, and we bring them with us to Jesus. Let us be those who carry people to Christ. Here, let me help you. I, I know just the one you need to, to see. I, I can't help you, but I know the one who can. Let me get a few friends and we will carry you to him. Now, if you've talked to someone about Christ, you've probably encountered one or more that will refuse to come to him. You'll, you'll share the gospel, you'll, you'll speak of Jesus, and they will refuse to be carried. They will refuse to believe. In fact, in their blindness, they will tell you that you're blind for trusting in Jesus, for trusting in Christ. But friend, though they may not come willingly, still you may carry them. Take them to Christ in prayer. Carry your friends and neighbors 
your co-workers, your children, your parents to Christ in prayer. Though they come not alone, go in their place. Though they refuse all help, ask for help on their behalf. Though they don't see their need for mercy, ask the Lord to give them mercy anyway. We can carry people to Jesus, whether they're willing to go or not. Let us set our families before his feet and our friends and our community and indeed our nation before him and ask him to work. When we go to him, let us bring others with him, with us. So we've seen the people who are healed and the people who brought them. The third thing we want to see in this section is, of course, Christ himself. And here he is, patiently working, kindly touching, powerfully healing, hour after hour, person after person, miracle after miracle. There is more healing in Christ than all the sickness that's brought to him. There's more mercy in Christ than all the sin that stood before him. There's more forgiveness in Christ than all the error that happened that came to him. There's more power in Christ than all the weakness that surrounds him. Friend, come to Christ again and again with your need. He is well and able to care for everyone. Come to his feet. Sit at his feet all will be well. Come to his feet, sit at his feet, all will be well. He will give you what you you need. Now, I don't mean to say he will always give you what you want. No. I don't mean to say that he heals every physical sickness or solves every financial problem. No. He stoops to help, but he stoops as God to help. And he won't give you everything you think you need, but he will give you everything he knows you need. Every time you come to him. Every time. It's what he does. So friends, let us return to him again and again. I, I, wrote, I wrote this, I considered this about a week ago in preparation for preaching. And this has been preaching back to me all week. Go to him again and again and again. I need this multiple times every day to go back and go back and go back. And he's not out. And he's not out. He's not out. There is enough for all who come. All right, let's consider the rest of the passage now together, which is the the feeding miracle, the miracle of feeding the 4,000. I'll I'll start again in verse 32, and we'll read down to the end. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, 
he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. See here the compassion of Christ. He looks out upon the crowd and says, I have compassion on them. They've been with me three days. They have nothing to eat. He knows the the snack they packed on day one was digested a while ago. They've been fasting now for at least a few days. And so he's concerned about sending them home. And so he tells the disciples of his concern. He brings in that inner circle. He says, ah, do you see the need? Do 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 you see the need on this crowd? Friends, we want to we listen to Christ when he shares his concerns with us. Prayer is very often we're bringing our concerns to God. But part of walking with God is making God's concerns ours. Taking his concern. When he points out one who is hurting or lonely or lost in our life. When he reminds us of the wayward child, of the parent that doesn't know the Lord, of the hardened, cynical relative or co-worker. Let's make his concerns our own. Is that what the disciples did in verse 33? Mm, Not exactly. Disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? What? Are you asking us to feed them? Where, how, how is this going to happen? Oh, I don't know. I wish they had read about 50 verses earlier to the experience they had just had when Jesus fed the 5,000. I wonder where they could get bread for this. You would think that a miracle like feeding 5,000 people from essentially nothing would have been memorable. Well, it probably was memorable, but I think they missed the point. You know, when they had been there the first time, I think they remembered Jesus met our need. I think they missed the bigger point. Whenever I'm with Jesus, he meets my needs. That's what they should have taken from that. He met my need once. I bet he'll do that again. I can trust him. If I'm with him... Things are going to be okay. Here they are talking to Jesus, and they have forgotten Jesus right in front of them. And they're actually trying to figure this out on their own. Uh, What did you bring? I I got nothing. How are we going to feed all these people? So Jesus, rather than just answering them, he brings clarity to their concerns. It's as though he says, what? You don't have enough? Really? Well, you should go count and make sure. You know? So off they go to count. Okay. Well, we've got seven loaves and a few small fish. So loaves back then were not like big loaves of white bread. They, they were much smaller, personal-sized loaves, like a hamburger bun or something like that. So they had seven of those and a few small fish. Tiny, like sardines or something, you know? Their combined ability to feed the crowd is pathetic. It is laughable. 
They don't have enough for a snack for more than one or two people, not to mention for a meal for these great crowds. Jesus invited them to minister alongside him, and he revealed their need, their inability. Friend, would you step in to minister to someone? Would you step in to do the work of ministry? Would you join Christ in some way in his mission of, of rescuing sinners and bringing people to himself? You better prepare yourself. Because to minister with Jesus is to learn how empty you are. It is. You know what would be fun? Feeling strong in ministry. You know what never happens? It's feeling strong in ministry. Not if it's Christ-word and Christ-led. Christ uses his disciples as co-laborers. He's inviting them into this. Yet, when they step forward to help, they discover that they have nothing with which to help. Welcome to ministry. Would you become a missionary? Then you will come to the end of yourself. Would you be called to be a pastor? Then you will be called to see your own emptiness. Would you step into leading a care group? Then you will step into knowing your weakness. Would you follow God in parenting? Then you will follow Him in discovering how empty you are and how many mistakes you can make. Would you carry the burdens of a friend? Then you will carry the extra burden of realizing you have nothing to say that will help. Would you lead a sinner to Christ? You will lead yourself to the awareness of how weak your words sound. and How little you feel like you can do to get them to Him. Would you simply pray for the lost? Then you will simply face the reality of, man, I can hardly keep my mind on track to lift my prayers to God, which seem to bounce off the ceiling right above me. To minister with Jesus is to minister in weakness. Now, given all that, we know how the story ends, right? The crowd went away hungry. Pathetic disciples, they just couldn't do it. Crowd went away hungry. No, that's not the end of the story. That's not what happened. In fact, despite the disciples' <clears throat> wonderful start, they end up feeding the entire crowd. Verse 36 again, he took the seven loaves and the fish, having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Great as the crowd was, and as little as the disciples had, still the disciples fed them all. How can this be? What is this mystery of ministry? It is a wonder, given these disciples, that the church survived the first generation. And it is a wonder that she survives generation after generation. But friends... The power of the church has never been in the disciples. The endurance of the church has never been in her people. The impact of the church has never been in the sheep. Ministry 
is not about the strength you bring to Jesus. It's about his strength coming to you. That's what ministry is about. Or let's say it another way. He makes the bread. We just hand it out. That's ministry. He makes the bread. We hand it out. We get to be his hands, giving it to hungry people. This is the key to Christian ministry. It is the key in parenting. It is the key in caring for a friend. It's the key in your care group. It's the key in being a missionary. He is the baker. We hand out the loaves. He is the provider. We bring hungry people to him. The Christian ministry, and friend, you are called to Christian ministry. I'm not talking just staff or full-time or some specific function. We are all, if you're a disciple, you're called to, to make disciples. This is Christian ministry. It's never been about what we bring to the party. It's always been about the work of Christ, working through weak people. So when you are weak in your prayers, pray anyway. For he is strong to answer prayer and does not require strong prayers to give strong answers. And when you, when you have no words to say to that lost friend, then turn for a moment and say something to God. God, you do what I can't do. I can't convince them. I can't answer this question. I, I don't know how to help, but you do. You know just, and if you want, give me something to say. And I'll speak weak words, and you do powerful things. And when, friend, you discover the 999th way that you failed as a parent, when your child is one month old, <laughs> then admit it to the Lord and ask that he would work despite how weak you are. And he will. Because the Lord has never been limited by the strength of his disciples. He's never been constrained by the failures of his disciples. He's never been delayed by, by the lack of gifting in his disciples. So, doubt him not, fellow disciple of Christ. Doubt him not. Doubt yourself? Certainly. Frequently. Repeatedly. Doubt him? No. Doubt yourself? Yeah, welcome to ministry. How many loaves do you think you have? To care for those around you? But allow that gentle question of rebuke from the Lord. How many loaves do you think you have? To cause you to lift your eyes up to him again. Oh yeah, it's not about me. It's about him. Jesus, do what you do. Do what you do in my family, in my friend, for my neighbor, in my care group, for my church, in our nation. Christian ministry will teach you your weakness unlike anything else. You will instantly come to the end of yourself. But it will teach you his strength as well. It will teach you his strength and it is enough because he is enough. And church, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the provider, that you are the one who, so to speak, makes the bread and we just pass it out. Lord, I pray for each one here right now who is, who is hungry, 
Maybe they're coming in with needs. Maybe they haven't turned to you and they don't know you. I pray that you would feed each one here. That you would meet each need here today. Lord, we pray for each other as a church family. That you would minister right now by the power of your Holy Spirit in this room. That you would feed us. That you would feed us as we take communion in a few minutes as well. As believers in Christ. You would nourish us within as we commune together with you. Jesus, be glorified and exalted among us as the strong one, as the smart one, that, that, that in this room, Lord, we're, we're all aware of how we stumble in many ways, and our gifts are not impressive, but our God is. May you be the one that's exalted, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.